and welcome to The Pod and the Pendulum, the podcast that covers horror movie franchises, one movie and one episode at a time. I'm your host, Mike Snoonian, and this week I am joined once again by Miss Jessica Scott. Jessica, how are we? I am great. I'm very excited to get into The Purge. Excellent. So am I. And little bit, little heads up, folks. Uh, Steven was going to join us again tonight, but he was unable to make it because he has been purged. So <laughs> excellent. So it's Jessica and I tonight. And Jess, do the honors and let our listeners know what entry we are going to be diving into. We will be discussing the purge anarchy. Yeah, this should be fun. I think this is a fan favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, and if the if the downloads are any indication, people really like The Purge. Like within three days of this, actually two days of this episode, our last episode posting on The Purge, it beat every Phantasm episode, including the first movie. Wow. So with that lets me know is we got to stick to the hits <laughs> is what we have to do here. Uh, but I think people are pretty excited to listen to uh, this series so we should probably maybe even set up a way for some listeners to give us some feedback on their favorite moments and ideas and whatnot so That'd be great. we are here to discuss the 2014 sequel to the hit blumhouse movie the purge before we jump into the background of the movie let's take a quick minute and talk about our initial impressions on the purge anarchy and jess can you not only give us your initial thoughts but since you weren't here last time Talk a little bit about it's purge night. You have 12 hours to kill. What crime are you committing on purge night if you have the opportunity? (laughs) Okay, so I will admit that I would feel very vulnerable as a woman on purge night. And I am a loner with trust issues. So um, I would just hole up as securely as possible um, with as many weapons as I could get my hands on and just stay awake for 12 hours straight tried trying to defend myself um i would be tempted to try drugs for the very first time because i'm a scaredy cat Mm -hmm. um but i think the purge is the absolute worst night to be out of your mind on drugs either the best night or the worst night depends on how you look at it um but i would want to stay frosty to defend myself so no no crimes for me just defense okay i guess it depends on the circumstance i guess you know if you are in that bunker if you have that panic room then maybe you just go nuts but you know or you want to get like waxed out of your mind so when you're in the streets you just feel no pain yeah exactly if if i'm already there i'm gonna smoke them if i've got them and i'm gonna make sure i've got them you know got it okay (laughs) so what were your initial thoughts on this movie um, this, I'm pretty sure this was my first time seeing it. Um, I'm normally very much a strict completionist. I like to watch franchises in order without skipping movies, but for some reason I've skipped around on The Purge. Um, so this was my first time watching it a couple of nights ago. Um, 
I enjoyed it a lot. I'm a fan of, I, I'm a huge fan of just the concept. I really like the different ways that the different movies and the TV show have um, approached this concept. And I, I really like the cast in this one. I was I'm very geeking out on Lakeith Stanfield showing up and being credited just as Keith Stanfield, which I thought was funny. Um, and I enjoyed the Saw influence on this one. I felt like when we get to the killer laser tag portion of the movie, it felt like a, like a Saw 6 to me for some reason. Um, I really like contrasting this sprawling street level approach to the contained first film. Uh, and I like that we explore a lot of the varied responses to the purge. You know, we've got individual grudges, organized purging, and uh, the film gets a little more pointed in drawing attention to the fact that murder is not the only crime being committed on purge night, which I think was uh, something important to delve into. Um, I, I don't want it to get into, it doesn't get sexually exploitative, which I appreciate, but it does kind of tap into those fears beyond, oh, oh God, what if somebody kills me? Because there are a lot of things that people would be afraid of happening on Purge Night that don't have anything to do with murder. Um, and I think it's important to kind of touch on those and mm -hmm. uh, acknowledge those fears since, you know, it is a horror movie and we are dealing with real world fears um, that have a lot to do with like class and gender and race. And I think touching on those is important. So overall, I, I really enjoyed this one and I like how it dives deeper into the concept than the sure. first one does. Yeah. Yeah. To your point, I'd be fascinated to know what happens afterwards. Meaning if I steal someone's car, is that now my car? Right? Like what yeah. is to prevent the owner from going and taking it back the next day or a week later? Mm -hmm. I'd be very interested in some of the family dynamic after a night like the purge. Like you have that family in this movie where the sister kills her own sister mm -hmm. uh, for sleeping with her husband. I would love to know what happens after that. Like, do you just chalk it up to that night of the year and move on? Or is there a lot of family therapy and a lot of empty seats at the Thanksgiving table later that year. Right? Yeah. This may be something where I'm ignorant about some of the later entries because I've not seen them all. But I want to see Purge movies that don't take place on Purge Night where we mm -hmm. see the, those festering resentments and what happens the day after the Purge when you go to work and uh, Bob killed Carol and sh she's not in accounting anymore. You know, what, what are those experiences like? It, it feels like the kind of property much like The Walking Dead that is prime for different spinoffs and prime for, like, you could see graphic novels, video games, all that sort of thing that would kind of fill in the blanks here. Um, you know, I, I know we had, like, a two-season-long television show, and I know that I tapped out after, like, two episodes. I'm like, eh, I don't know if I could do ten episodes of this. I'm interested to maybe go back and watch it as we record these episodes to see if there if any gaps it fills out but it just kind of felt to me like a 10 hour version of a movie and i'm like mm, that might get to be a bit much mm -hmm. um i thought i hadn't seen this one before but as soon as part of me here as soon as um carmen comes or sorry eva comes home as soon as she comes home I'm like, oh, I definitely recognize this movie. Like when she gives her dad 
the pills. I'm like, I've definitely seen huge chunk, at least huge chunks of the movie before. I think I remembered most of it up to the point where uh, Justina Mikado from one uh, from one day at a time, like her character Tanya, is killed by her sister. Like I remembered everything up to that point as soon as as soon as they were called seeing it, but I could not remember anything after that. I had just like totally, completely memory hold this movie. So that is to say that this one did not make much of an initial impression on me. And I definitely know I didn't see it in theaters. Um, It had to be one of those like, oh, it's streaming. It's like a Saturday afternoon. I haven't really seen this one yet. I'm going to throw it on right now. Let's give it a spin. Mm -hmm. I definitely enjoyed it on rewatch. It is fascinating seeing it's showing a lot more of what I thought the original Purge movie was going to be. Like, here is the Purge at a street level. And then once I actually got that in a movie, I'm like, you know, maybe there's a little bit too much of this. Maybe they were onto something with that kind of like bottle-capped episode or that just one bottle movie focusing on one family. This feels, by the time you get, we'll talk about it later, but it, it felt a little meandering by the time you got to the yeah. end of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to say like one thing while I'm on the subject as we're covering these movies. I paid for the five disc box set, uh, not knowing I had already ordered the four disc set before <laughs> that. Like, oh, I actually own all of these movies because I like physical media. I like to own them. and I know they're all streaming on HBO Max, but I'm like, it's probably good to have the blues. I'm sure there'll be like some commentaries and some extra features and things that'll add like a lot more context to the movies as we prep here. Mm-hmm. You know, I should have known because it's Blumhouse that you're not going to get any of that because their Blu-rays are notoriously terrible for having like absolutely jack shit on them. Mm-hmm. Super bare bones. Like there is... A couple of deleted scenes and then like an eight minute behind the scenes featurette that really doesn't offer any sort of insight. It's like more of like a electronic press kit than anything else. And it's the same with the paranormal activity Blu-rays as well. You can get like all six movies for maybe 20 bucks on blue. But there's like no bonuses whatsoever. And it stinks because as we know, like we keep seeing this happen with streaming titles just disappear and not just like they leave a service and you can go and watch them somewhere else pay to watch them but they're just gone like they've never existed at all Mm -hmm. so i am totally fine with buying the movies but give me a little something as a physical media collector if i'm going to spend that money give someone that's going to buy all five purge movies either a is a really big fan of the series and want to know more about them or B is a podcaster that <laughs> is covering all the movies and wants to know more about them. Um, all I'm saying is Jason Blum has not made it very easy for podcasters to cover his movies in terms of getting background information. Yeah. Uh, and it, it is a downer because again, like these are massively successful and I'm sure people would want to know a little bit more, especially we did the Child's Play series, and those are pretty much 
all the work of one man, like Don Mancini. He is the mastermind behind this. Of course, others work on them and whatnot. Right. Same thing with Phantasm. It's Don. It's Don Coscarelli. Mm-hmm. These are really James DeMonico's movies. Like he writes and directs the first three. He wrote the next two and allegedly has a script for a sixth one. I would love to know what his thought process is as he goes through each movie, like how he wants to build this world. So we'll talk a little bit about the background. And I'll start with Jess. Like, Did you see the announcement earlier this week that Blumhouse is now getting into gaming? I did. Um, I'm... I'm excited for my gamer friends. I myself am not a gamer because God knows I don't need another expensive rabbit hole to go down. (laughs) Um, So, you know, I'm happy for people if Blumhouse does it well. Um, I I have to get in and dig at Jason Blum and remind him that there are female video game developers and creators out there. um, Just like there are female film directors who like horror. So I just want him to remember that. But no, yeah, I'm, I'm not a gamer, so I don't have much of a take on it i just i'm if they if it does well i'll be very happy for my horror gamers out there i not being a gamer it might be tough to answer this question but if you were designing a game based on the purge series what would that look like because this does seem like a series that is like ripe for it really does um oh god i I would like to see a combination of the home invasion film that we see in the first one and the street level, you know, jump scare, go down this alley, avoid this gang, avoid this gang. Um, I, that's probably a really stupid answer as a non-gamer. I'm no, sure not the gamers at all. Are like, no, but I'd like to find a way to combine that. Like you can go to this upscale gated community and it becomes a home invasion game or you can go to the street level like you can play different avenues like basically playing different movies would you play as a purger or would you play as somebody that is trying to protect their home um i would be a purger because i like mayhem when i play video games i like fighting games and i like fucking people up so i would be a purger and i would be way too scared to play as a homeowner because i would be on the defensive a lot and that that's too much for my blood pressure so i guess someone could say like you already have this in video game form it's just called grand theft auto (laughs) like that really is like one large purge yeah um i could see it being something like the friday the 13th game or the evil dead game where you have like co-op and then you could have like have a co-op teams trying to fight against purgers that are coming after you it could be it seems like one of those properties where if there's going to be a game it would be ripe for especially a massive multiplayer Mm -hmm. game where you have like dozens or hundreds of people all playing (laughs) at the same time it would be could be fun and if you listen to the average person on their headset when you're playing online they sound like a bunch of purgers (laughs) a bunch of foul-mouthed little preteen shits so yeah (laughs) All right, so as far as the Purge Anarchy goes, after the success of the first movie, Universal, who distributed the movie, and Blumhouse, who produced it, they both want a sequel, and they want to get one out quickly, like while interest is still really high in the first Purge movie. And DeMonico gets a call for a sequel that is greenlit, and he gets working right away. 
unlike the first movie, he knows that this one's not going to be set in a single location, that it's meant to expand the world. And I dug up a bunch of interviews with him around the time Anarchy was coming out. And honestly, like the three or four that I read, they all come off like an apology tour on the part of DeMonica. Like he's, despite the massive success of the first movie where it's like makes 90 million on a $3 million budget, which you should be kind of like really like crowing about it and talking about the success of it. He is almost apologizing for that movie, saying, I didn't think it was going to be this big. If I knew that, we would have gone a different route. He talks about watching the movie and realizing, oh, there's not enough like actual purge stuff in here. And that's why the opening credit sequence, you have all of the footage of purge events that was filmed after the fact as a way to show the audience like what the purge would be. And that became the audience's favorite part of the movie was the opening credits. So I found a quote here that kind of highlights what I'm talking about where DeMonico confronts the audience's appointment at the first movie. It's essentially, it's a home evasion movie. It's very little offense, very little, the events outside of the sand and home depicted. I mean, really it's the French movie ills or the strangers is really the best way to look at that first purge movie. And Jess, would you mind reading the quote that I put here in our notes at the top of page two, I believe. Yeah. Or three actually. Uh, because you're right. The concept is this great promise to go out on the street. It's this nationwide concept about what's happening on the streets, and we're not showing that. And then I added this credit sequence to the first movie, which made it worse. Then the first cut of the film was so contained and claustrophobic that I came up with this idea where I'd use surveillance camera footage to show what's happening on the streets of America. The movie opens with surveillance cam footage from previous purges, with people getting axed and shot, which made things worse, to be honest. And then he laughs. I kicked myself in the groin. I showed people, look, this is what's happening outside of the house, but now I'm going to keep you all in here. Yeah, and that's <laughs> fascinating. You know, and I think they, like, one um, interviewer, like, straight out opens the interview with, like, I didn't really like The Purge. <laughs> and that's, like, the first question that's not even a question it's a statement like you know i didn't like your movie it's like great you know and you got to imagine because i've been on these junkets where i am like the 10th person in the day to get my 15 minutes Mm -hmm. that how many times he is asked that question and then to get confronted with that being like fantastic super happy to (laughs) go out and promote my movie now um I know you weren't part of our Purge episode, but what were your thoughts about that movie being so self-contained and did it feel like a bit of a disappointment at the time? Um, I, I might be a little biased because I love home invasion movies, um, but I'm, I really like the self-contained nature of the first film. Um, we see a lot of hints, you know, as you mentioned, and as that quote mentioned, the, the footage that we see, we see hints of what the purge is like outside the walls of the skated community. But, you know, we're also hearing the news reports. We see the neighbor sharpening his machete before he goes hunting. We see the freaks with their weapons and their reinforcements. Um, and I like those suggestions of mayhem. I, I think they're what they whet our appetites and give us something to work with. And I like that the first film focuses right away on the one percenters and shows these smug rich people eating their own. It's saying a lot about race and class without actually showing poor and marginalized people getting their brains bashed in for 90 minutes. Um, And I think 
the concept is so horrifying that the first movie doesn't necessarily need to show us a lot of that bigger story. Because uh, this guy is the richest of the rich, he has the best security system, and he's still not safe because he overestimates how much his wealth and privilege will protect him. And I, that idea, plus you've got great leads, and I like the commentary that it drops throughout, I think it is really satisfying on its own merits. And it didn't bother me at the time. Like, I I think I saw this first one in the theater, and I was all in, and I, I mm-hmm. loved it. Yeah, I especially watching these two close to each other mm-hmm. agree with that completely. Like I come to appreciate the first movie a bit more after watching this one right after. And again, I like this movie. Like it's actually a fun little action yeah. horror movie, but you know, I think part of it, it helps when you get like an Ethan Hawk and you get a, uh, Lita had, uh, Lena Headley mm-hmm. and your as your, you know, two phenomenal performers to kind of anchor, the movie down. I mean, that doesn't hurt things whatsoever. I'm a fan of home invasion movies. And I think you're right. I think the suggestion of watching someone gather their weapons, watching someone sharpen the blade in the backyard and trying to get in that headspace is more interesting than just really once you see the purge play out, it's just a bunch of people with guns running around and shooting each other. And sometimes they have like some more fantastical ways of doing that. So, yeah, I just agree with you. I think I agree with you there. Um, DeMonico talks about some of his personal favorites when it comes to building the world world of the purge with anarchy. Um, He gives huge shout outs to John Carpenter for escape from New York, Walter Hills, the warriors, um, and I think you definitely see those movies tip of the cap to both of them. I mean, I don't, I think without those movies, this one doesn't exist. Oh, a hundred percent. You know, I, it's not just the baseball furies, but I felt that the most keenly and a few of the set pieces with the, the bus um, roaring up, I was kind of playing pointing Leo a little bit just because I'm a huge fan of those movies as well. Mm-hmm. Um, especially the warriors. Um, and it, it does have that same feel, the kind of odyssey through the streets, getting from points A to B to C, mm-hmm. um, all in search of, you know, home safety. It's a little video game-ish. Mm-hmm. When you think about it, the way this movie plays out, because it gets progressively bigger until you get to the final boss at the end, which is a much smaller set piece. Like you are starting in this apartment building and then you're on the streets and then you're in another apartment, then you're in the tunnels and another apartment building. Then you have that massive set piece at the end. And then you have like the quiet suburban final boss setting. Um, So it kind of feels a bit gamish on its own. So uh, Monaco talked about the character that Frank Grillo plays, which doesn't really get a name here. They just call him Sergeant. So I just I'm going to call him Frank Grillo because <laughs> I think that is like the, just the best name, period. Um, it's de- he is designed as a homage to Clint Eastwood and the movie The Outlaw, Josie Wales. 
DeMonico talked about his love for like outlaw westerns, as well as movies like Logan's Run and Death Wish, where you have characters that are avenging the loss of someone they loved or cared about. Mm -hmm. DeMonico had worked with Grillo before on a miniseries on Spike TV called The Kill Point, where Grillo starred alongside uh, John Luisiamo as a pair of bank robbers. Um, the sequence, there's a couple sequences in this, or there's a sequence in this movie that was a carryover from the first Purge movie that it did not get included. And I think they were kind of right to cut it because it would have ruined the character of Ethan Hawke, like how we looked at that character. So the sequence where the grandfather Rico is offering him up, self up as a sacrifice to the rich in the original Purge script, there was going to be a scene early on where Ethan Hawke's character would have paid off like a terminal cancer patient $100,000 to kill him with an axe. So he would have been like, your family will get hundred k and I get to take part of the Purge in a safe setting. Universal, in one of their few notes to the movie, said, we're not doing that, like that's the lead of the movie. He's supposed to be sympathetic. You can't go around killing cancer patients with an axe <laughs> if you want to have a sympathetic main character. So pretty good note from Universal yeah, yeah. there, I think, you know. Yeah, props to um, that. The other note they gave, originally it was going to be the teen daughter in The Purge that was going to attack dad with a handgun. And Universal, again, said, like, you're not doing that. You're not having this teen girl go after her father with like a, a handgun shooting willy nilly. No, that was that was taken out. Hence the character of the boyfriend being there. Like he got that part and it does stand out as a bit of a sore thumb. Like, huh, like his motivations don't seem and I think we even talked about this in the first episode and come to find out it's like, okay, well we needed to find a way to do this, which I don't still don't understand why you do because it's just, just, I don't think like Ethan Hawke gets shot. I think yeah. he misses. So you could have just taken that out and been fine. Okay. Yeah. So is this movie a success? Is Purge Anarchy a success? In short, yes. Uh, on a budget somewhere between nine and eleven million dollars, about three times more than they had for the first movie. It surpasses the gross of the purge by making about 112 million worldwide. So they invest about six or seven million dollars more and they make a little bit over 23 million dollars more uh, before they sell a bare bones DVD or Blu-ray to boot. <laughs> Um, it makes just under $30 million opening weekend, coming in at number two at the box office behind Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. That's actually about $4 million less than the original movie. So it kind of shows that there was really positive word of mouth amongst moviegoers that said, hey, like this is actually giving us what we want. Because usually you would see if it made less than the first movie on opening weekend, uh, it's not going to do quite as well and i just want to kind of point out here 2014 is a sneaky excellent year for horror movies i kind of like to look at like what came out this year so it's a really good mix of box office fair that's going to just like the popcorn horror movies and your kind of art house horror movies so the babadook comes out that year which i think is pretty much a fan favorite right yeah 
Uh, it's also A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night uh, comes out that year as well. Um, an underappreciated like found footage movie, one that the fans, I haven't seen this one, but people who have seen it sing its praises, so I think I need to watch it as above, so below. Love that one. You do need it's to see It's a really it. good one. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Creep comes out this year. The Taking of Deborah Logan. So really good year for like under the radar found footage movies. Mm-hmm. Um, Zombievers comes out. <laughs> it it follows comes out. Starry Eyes. So a lot of art house, like a lot of like indie horror movies, like things that we really, really like. What We Do in the Shadows, Housebound, Stage Fright. Uh, I think I said It Follows. Um, so the big movie of the year, the ones that or the one that is like on par with the box office of the purge anarchy is the paranormal activity, the marked ones, which is the next to last movie in the original series. And it also does really well. Like it pulls in just under 90 million at the box office on a budget of like 10. The problem with that is the previous movie paranormal activity for just like a year before that had done like 140 something million dollars worldwide. And before that paranormal activity three had done $207 million. So that is, you can see where that series is losing steam Mm -hmm. at this point. And I think the marked ones, it, it suffers from PA four being very weak. Yeah. Like as far as I, out of the first four movies, it's the weakest of the it's the weakest of the series. Yeah, totally agree. So you get the what's usually the movie after that that really suffers. But mm-hmm. Sneaky, any other favorites from that year? I mean, Tusk as well, <laughs> um, which I really like. Uh, that's where we def- I'm I think I'm in the minority on that one. I have disliked a few films as much as I disliked Tusk. <laughs> wow. What was yeah. it about Tusk that you didn't like? Um, I'm a big I have a problem with movies where I don't think they manage their tone well. And it felt like there were so many competing, like the comedy mixed with the grotesquerie didn't work for me. So you're saying that Kevin Smith was a sloppy filmmaker? Never. Is that How dare? I mean, I, um, I like Kevin Smith. I, especially his early run. Like I, yeah. you know, came into young adulthood during clerks and mall rats and, at some point along the way, and he has said this, like I went to one of, I went to his, like his spoken word tour where he was like bringing around like scenes from Red State. Mm-hmm. And he came out and said like, I have a massive following online. I have a massive following on Twitter and online and on my podcast. I have like 2 million people that follow me. If I just make movies within a budget that those 2 million people will see, I'm good. And he's kind of never really pushed himself mm-hmm. after that. And it's kind of a bummer. I like Tusk. Uh, it is a bit all over the place. Uh, but God, Michael Parks is really fucking good in it. So. He's he's so good, but it's uh, that's, that's one of my least favorite movies. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. If, if you cut everything with Johnny Depp out of that movie. It... I, I, I think that's where the tonal shift goes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
yeah if you if you take him out i think the movie improves for me okay but um i know that horror generally speaking is designed to make you uncomfortable but the makeup on justin long's transformation makes me so uncomfortable that okay. i just can't stomach it that's another part of it that i just that's I fair just can't do it what if you take johnny depp's character out of tusk but you make him the character you you Swap him out for Glenn in A Nightmare in Elm Street. It's a nightmare, <laughs> in, it's a nightmare in Elm Street better at that point. Is he wearing the crop top? Of course. Okay, then yeah. Okay. Yeah. Of course he's wearing the crop top. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's, enough Tusk talk. Enough of that. Um, let's talk about the Purge Anarchy. So my first question, Jess, does the Purge Anarchy do enough to answer the audience criticism that the first one, and we talked a little bit about this, so maybe we're repeating ourselves, but tough. Um, <laughs> does it answer that criticism that like the, that the first movie doesn't tap into the premise enough? I think it does. I think there were, there will be certain fans who just want 90 minutes, a hundred minutes of faces of death where it's just purging nonstop. The streets run red. I think there are some people who think, that is the ultimate uh, incarnation of that premise. But for me, I think it does enough um, because, you know, we've got street level mayhem, we've got um, chaos and violence, but it's not overwhelming because, because it's not just these movies to me, it's easy to write them off as just, oh, people want to see actors get killed in creative ways. But there I'm interested in the ideas behind it and not did that sound horribly pretentious. I'm sorry. I'm interested in ideas. Unlike you, Pion. No, not like that. Um, but yeah, no, you I, know, what you're saying is the average movie goer is a knuckle dragging peon that yes. just wants to see. Yeah. Which is, I yeah, agree. Totally exactly. on board. That is 100% what I'm saying. No, I, uh, you have, this is year six of the purge that we're on in this movie. And I think you have to take into account a few things. Number one, there's going to be purge fatigue. Like people are going to be beaten down by the relentlessness of how life is with the purge. And they're going to be hunkering down and hiding. And you have to think about how many people have been killed in the previous five purges. You know, the homeless pop, the unhoused population has been decimated. It might have increased in some sectors because of the economic instability as a result of the purge. But still, you don't have a lot of people living on the streets You've got to take into account how society has changed, how demographics have changed. So I don't think if people complain that it's unrealistic for the streets to be that empty, I, I don't buy that argument because I, I think people are either hiding or they're already dead. Like I, I, I want to be I want to look at the census year by year. I want to see purges one through six and see class and race and gender and where people are living and i know that would make for a fascinating film that would make for just you know give me actuarial tables all day long and that's the best horror movie there is but you know that's what i'm interested in like i i think it does a good job of showing us the larger world of the purge while also making you think about well where is everybody so what you want is ben affleck's character from the accountant basically yes. running the behind the scenes numbers of the purge for 90 minutes exactly exactly i'd watch that i would totally watch that yeah i think that would be the best the most tickets sold for that franchise (laughs) 
I I actually I actually agree with all of that. I think that well, I don't know about the tickets being sold part of it. Um or if you get like the parks and rec accountants and they're like doing that would be Adam Scott in a purge movie. Oh, it would be amazing. Um, it's all about the cones. Oh. <laughs> Oh, I did not know we were going to have a Cones of Dunshire <laughs> joke in this episode, but here we are. Um, you're right, because I originally thought, and this is kind of a COVID thought, the persons that are in least of support of mask mandates and getting the vaccine and social distancing, they're the ones that died. Mm-hmm. So when you think about it, like the Republican Party absolutely telling its members and its supporters don't support the vaccine it's a hoax don't wear a mask it's a hoax don't social distance don't give up your rights don't live in fear they're killing their base and we're like a 50 50 country so in some of these states yeah if you're on the team blue and you're like no i think i'll wear a mask and get the shot you know, we have a chance now uh, to maybe swing some of these states blue because there's less Republicans that are around. So you're saying and, we should just purge all the Republicans is what I'm hearing. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not saying that. Um, but what I'm saying is it was it's just that to me was interesting because you saw a phenomenon where a lot of persons that would vote red were I mean, you see the numbers. Like, I'm not pulling this out of my ass. You see right, the right. numbers of like who died, dur- who dies during COVID, and it's a lot more Republicans and Democrats too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, that's that's you can find any study will show you like that. That's who's being affected the most, and it's because of things like not wearing a mask, not wearing, not getting the vaccine. Um, that's what happens. I mean, they fucked around and then they got to the find out stage. And here it's the opposite because here it's happening in urban areas and you're targeting working class. You're targeting the poor. I mean, you're targeting persons that are more likely to, in my mind, I'm like, after six years of this, why wouldn't you not, why would you not be voting these fuckers out? And part of it, we talked about it in our first show. There's like a, a moment at the end of the first movie. It's like just audio where there's one person who says, it took both of my sons. I used to be an American. Now I'm not. The purge is taking everything from me. And that's a person that's probably not going to you know, vote for the new founding fathers again. But when you think about who is getting, it's not only you're just getting rid of like the quote unquote poor and undesirables. But you're getting rid of your opposing party's base as well. So you're able to swell those ranks and keep this mm-hmm. going. And I think that'll be fascinating to look at when we talk about anar- uh, election year next mm-hmm. week. I want to see if it dives into that at all. And I do think that this overall, it does a good job of like showing like what this would actually look like. So I don't think you're going to have tens of thousands of people out on the streets rioting. You're going to have a lot of people that are hunkered down, living in fear, scared, and then you're going to have a small group of people hunting them. Mm -hmm. I think that's what this kind of night would actually look like. 
And I also found it fascinating at the end of the movie, you have that suburban white family that, you know, they have a security system, but it's nothing super fancy. They're able to just kind of sleep soundly, like it's getting an average night's sleep, no big deal, because they're in a neighborhood where no one's going to attack one another. Exactly. And it, it, it becomes this kind of feudal system within a feudal system because, you know, we see individual purgers. We see one person walking down the street with a weapon who gets mowed down or no, it's, it's a couple, a couple walking down yep. the street. They get mowed down by the people who are financed and heavily armed. Like these little feudal lords get their 12 hours a year and it just creates, you know, fiefdoms within fiefdoms in mm-hmm. the system. So, you know, those individuals who might have been inclined to purge, like they're getting wiped out as well, but they're getting eaten Mm -hmm. by the bigger fish. What's fascinating, too, is the randomness of the violence in this movie. There are some scenes where it's directed at very specific people, but by and large, it's just I have 12 hours to do whatever I want. And what I want to do is kill strangers. You see that with the folks that are on like the all-terrain vehicles that are armored up with flamethrowers and metal plating. They're just anyone that comes through, we are going to take them out. You see that with the rooftop snipers. Like there's one kind of like two two for shot where dude is up on the roof. He's got his uh, sniper rifle. He's got a 12-pack of beer. And anyone that comes through that part of his street is going to get down doesn't matter who it is he doesn't have to know him he's just taking him out and i just wonder like of you know there's obviously there's a psychology behind that and would that actually help you release your anger and the most studies would suggest no that like randomly inflicting violence on other people it's not going to get you the relief that the purge is hyping or at least ostensibly is for it is actually going to make you more prone to violence because your urge to be violent hasn't been satisfied like you've been promised so you're if anything you're going to escalate that behavior and you're probably not going to be able to contain it to that one night of the year Mm -hmm. exactly but the government doesn't care because they're still probably targeting those poor groups groups that are not in power I, I believe that comes up in the first purge. I, I don't remember all the particulars of it, but I'm pretty sure that it's explicitly stated like we basically just want to kill the poor people. Like we're going to pitch it as this, but what we really want to do is get rid of like the poor people. Um, and the I, the thought was like they would do it to themselves. And you see a little bit of that here where you have like the weapons dealers that are out on the street like an hour yeah. or two and you just have to be like, hey, what do you need right now? Like it is the night day before Christmas for them. And they are selling the last of the Cabbage Patch Kids before <laughs> the shops are going closed, right? No, I'm, I'm just saying I, I would relate to that. Like if I, I would be stockpiling throughout the year as much as I could afford. But imagine how much, you know, gun dealers are jacking up their prices, knowing how in demand everything is, you know, the street dealers right beforehand might be your only shot. I would buy as many as I could just because that panic before those klaxons start would start to, to really hit me in mm-hmm. those hours leading up to it. A hundred percent agree. Cause you know that if you, in, like you said, like the day of, or the days leading up to it, everything is doubled in price, tripled in price, quadrupled in price. Like that's, the way it's going to be 
So am I wrong in thinking that this would feel right at home as a canon film from like the 80s? 100%. That, no, no, you are not wrong. That, I, 100% wrong. I'm like, oh, You are okay. completely incorrect, sir. No, absolutely. I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I mean, it does feel like something like Roger Corman would have done without any problem at all. So one thing that jumped out to me, it is 2023, the year of Purge Anarchy. The opening text says the unemployment is under 5%. And what stood out to me was two things. Number one, that is four points higher than it was stated at the beginning of the first Purge movie. Like it was under 1% at that movie. And I didn't know if that was a simple oversight um, of the person who's in charge of continuity, or is that supposed to be a subtle nod that like, yeah, you're not really getting that economic bump that you were supposed to get um, from this night. And also, at present moment, our unemployment rate is about 3.6%. And as far as I know, there's not been a call for, well, we did have a sitting member of Congress ask for a national divorce this week. So... <laughs> Aside from um, Congresswoman Space Lasers, <laughs> there's really not a call for a purge in any grand fashion. Like no one is calling for like massive amounts of violence on the street. But there's also not a great celebration of like, look how good the economy is. If anything, everyone is pulling their hair out because, well, unemployment is down. Inflation is way up. Wages have gone up, but they haven't gone up enough. What kind of jobs are out there? Like the tech center, the tech sector has been laying off thousands of persons. They're kind of course correcting after all of the extra hiring they did during the pandemic lockdowns where Amazon all of a sudden said, oh, we need to hire all these people because people are like shopping more online not asking, well, what are people going to do when you don't have to do that anymore? So a bunch of like different different things going on there. And this is a long way of me saying, I don't even know what I'm pointing out at this point. To be quite honest, I've lost track, so I'll have to edit that. But did that jump out to you at all? Like this opening, like unemployment's at 5% and things are going smooth and like, wait a minute, that's different. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that is an acknowledgement that the purge is not working as intended or as promised, whichever, whether those are um, in opposition with each other or not, um, especially with the small twist at the end, where the government is subsidizing these groups that are going around killing people, as many people as possible, as many poor people as possible. Um, because, you know, if you're killing off the service sector of your economy like the people who are serving your meals and sanitation workers and like poor people working class people that's going to cause instability that's going to cause um the economy to go pear-shaped so i think that just a little small detail is acknowledging that the purge is really short-sighted and is doing the opposite of what they intended for it to do yeah i agree what do you think of some of the things they introduce here, such as persons that are older or sicker selling themselves to wealthy families to be murdered so their families will get taken care of? Like, What do you think of this concept? I, 
it reminds me a lot of the suicide booths from Soylent Green. Mm-hmm. Um, just because just that same sense of hopelessness um, and the world is ending like they're they're having an annual apocalypse, essentially. And, you know, if you're older, you can't afford health care or if you just don't see your quality of life improving. I can understand from that person's perspective. It's like a life insurance policy that you can't get from a, an insurance company because back to my actuarial tables, what do insurance policies look like in the world of the purge, you know? So I, I can understand from their point of view, why it's tempting. You can uh, hopefully die quickly and then provide for your family for it. Um, I think it's just a really grim indictment of our current healthcare system. Cause mm-hmm. g- God knows you see all these GoFundMes for people who are like, I can't afford dental care. I can't afford healthcare. I can't afford this surgery. I can't afford that surgery because nobody can afford healthcare right now, except the very, very rich. Um, so it's, that's probably the most depressing part to me. Um, and the fact that I like narratively how um, Ava's dad just disappears into the night. It, I, I don't, I don't think they dropped the ball at all there. I think that was really smart on their part that he just disappears and she's like, he's gone. We can't do anything about it. Right. Because that's how final and that's how depressing the situation is. I like that aspect of it too. I like that there's not, we're going to go find like a, a different movie. It would have been like, we're going to find out where he is and we're going to save him. And at the end, if we do, dad is going to like be like, oh, life is worth living. And that's a much different movie at this point the hopelessness and the finality of it i think is like really powerful in that moment between like eva and uh i think it's eva and liz um you oh no that's all is it Callie that's the thing about her? this movie is like the characters they just they're not super fleshed out yeah you know what i mean like they yeah. like i was just thinking like it's shane and liz I, or shane and Callie are the married couple you could remove them from this movie completely. And I don't think you're losing anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I hate to say that as much as I love Zach Guilford because he does a great job, but yeah, there's nothing for them to do. Like the only thing that that character introduces is the idea of there being hunted by like a very specific group of purgers. And I think you could easily, find a different way to introduce it like they literally add nothing to this movie to the point where like when zach gilford's character is killed it's sad for a couple moments and then uh callie goes away never to be heard from again like she's not even in that last section of the movie and it's almost like an afterthought that he gets killed like it's just Mm -hmm. quick and out of nowhere and almost like a, a bit of an afterthought like that character exists because like, okay, we need to have at least one person in our group die. And we don't want to make um, Liz an orphan and by killing off her mom and we don't want to kill a teen girl. So let's add these two characters. And Oh, by the way, they're going to stick. The thing about them, like maybe separating never really plays into because they work really well as a team together. Mm -hmm. Right. There's never yeah. a moment where it's like, wait a minute. If I throw my wife in front of a bullet, <laughs> I'm not going to have to pay any spousal support. Right. Right. You don't even have a moment like that was a dark thought. Um, 
And I apologize. But you don't even act. They work really well. Like, there's never a moment where, like, well, we're separating anyway. Fuck you. You know, just like, I'm going to, like, it's, it's, I don't know. Just no, like, there's just you. not they a don't lot do there. Much there. Yeah, yeah. They don't do much with that relationship on either side. There's no, like, they, I think they kind of attempt a tearful reconciliation at the very end, but it doesn't land. So they, they don't no, do anything. He gets with like 400 bullets pumped into him right. <laughs> three seconds later. So you don't even have a chance for it to land. Um, this is really the Frank Grillo show. I mean, mm-hmm. really, this is, this movie exists. So Frank Grillo can essentially addition to play the Punisher at some point. It's the way I'm mm-hmm. looking at this movie. Uh, yeah. And he's a lot of fun to watch here. What do we think of Grillo as kind of your, your Avenger going through the night here? I'm a huge fan of his anyway. So I'm, I'm, I was already sold on him. Um, but I love like, I love his gruffness and I love his backstory. And I mean, it's, it's pretty standard action vengeance thriller fair this backstory of finding the guy who killed his son um but i still am such a huge fan of the way he he, he's out to purge but he has a good reason for it and i Mm -hmm. i like that they're exploring the people who have actual vendettas that make sense like i'm really interested in like vengeance purgers versus mm-hmm. chaos purgers essentially yeah. and i i just i think frank, frank grillo is fantastic i would i'll watch anything with him in it to be honest with mm-hmm. you because this movie really does just focus on the really on the chaos purgers mm-hmm. well you have chaos purgers and then you have the hired goons because right. you have the members of the NFFA or NFFA supporters that are highly armored, highly equipped, and they are targeting very specific buildings that the government has chosen in order to really, you know, cull the population a bit, but also instill fear in others. Like my idea, my thought is like they're by killing a building full of people you are instilling fear in the surrounding areas and maybe getting them to kind of like, kind of like when you're trying to smoke out uh, mice from their holes, Mm -hmm. you're trying to do the same thing with the people like, Oh my God, this building just got overrun by these hired goons. We now have to hit the streets as well, or otherwise we could be next. Let's talk about like the lack of protection that we touched on this a little bit with like the guns, but the the class you, you definitely see this class and reintroduced here again or this like class separation reintroduced again where in that first movie it takes like a lot to break into the sand and home like they have to it, it's a long time into the movie before they actually are able to get in and you know they get in i guess fairly easy by pulling all the things off but they need a lot of equipment to do that in this movie Someone just kicks in the door of uh, Eva and Liz's home and he's in there Mm -hmm. and there's no problem for these hired goons to get in any of the buildings whatsoever. There's very little protection afforded most of the persons we see in this movie. Yeah. Like I, one thing I do like about um, Shane and Liz's storyline is they drive through a suburban neighborhood where things are a little more spread out, a little wealthier, but not to the point of the Sandins, where they're boarding up like it's going to be a hurricane, which mm-hmm. won't do a lot, 
but it gives you more protection than the folks in the apartment buildings at the closer quarters i really like that we we literally see them drive from a bigger tax bracket to a smaller tax bracket and we Mm -hmm. see the contrast in how people are preparing because you know Ava, she's she's staying at work until like her boss keeps her late on purge night and she just has to walk home from work like everybody else and then just lock her apartment door and hope for the best. Um, so it's really interesting just kind of watching that. I think Chewy last episode called it trickle down mm-hmm. um, economics in terms of how the purge affects everybody. And it, that's exactly right. Yeah. No, you're, you're right. You see with the boarding up in the suburban homes giving yourself enough protection where okay if i'm just randomly going door to door and street to street i'm probably not going to spend a lot of time on any home that offers at least a little bit of protection that i am going to look for and i think that's part of the reason why everybody flocks to the city because you have a lot of people in a small area and if i can get through that first door i can pretty much get to anybody i want as Mm -hmm. opposed to it's like Going trick-or-treating, do you want to go to the neighborhood where they have like sprawling yards and there's long driveways and you have to go like it's about five minutes in between houses or do you want to go to like the neighborhood where the houses are a bit crowded together, the ground is flat, the driveways are short, maybe everyone treats it like a party and they're out like the neighborhood we go trick-or-treating in, we drive 20 minutes to it because the houses are all close together and everyone throws a party. Like you don't even have to go to the house or in the driveway throwing candy at you. It's kind of the same idea here. Like, all right, if there's boards on the house, am I going to bother with this one? No, because it's going to take too much time and effort to get it unless I have a reason to want to go after them. I is another interesting thing about what life is like the other, you know, 364 days and 12 hours. How do people live their lives now? So as not to draw the attention of someone who might want to purge them on purge. Yeah. I, I keep thinking about that. Like with Diego, um, the guy who busts into the apartment because he wants to rape um, both Eva and her daughter, you know, she you know as a woman you're like am i being too polite to this guy am i not being polite enough to this guy that's just an everyday thing that marginalized genders have to deal with add in the purge element and you're doing this mental calculus of am i doing something to land on somebody's purge list and i don't even know it so i'm so Mm -hmm. interested in the psychology of how people have to act differently in this world and how they have to treat people differently and walk on eggshells around everybody and it doesn't feel like anyone does it feels like everybody just takes it for the granted that this is that one night a year and you're right like um eva is polite to diego but she rebuffs him firmly and often Mm -hmm. in that scene like you know you could see a world where you know what like just like that uh the apartment they visit later on it's kind of like everybody's gathered together and they're having almost a little celebration or a little party. You could see like, Hey, why don't you come over? We'll make dinner. We're going to throw on movies and you know what? You can protect us. You could say you could offer like you're bigger, stronger. You have a weapon. Um, You could protect us. But would that be an invite? If you do that, is that an invitation for something more? Like what is the expectation is Diego going to say like, well, 
ask grass or cash like no one rides for free like if i go to your apartment there's an expectation there that you're gonna put out for me or if i'm rude to him am i gonna end up on hers listen and what it really boils down to is there's really nothing some people can do to avoid getting put just a slight look just a exactly day's worth of rejections is going to end you is going to end you up on that list mm-hmm. yeah and i one of the scariest things about these movies is like these guys you know people like that they feel entitled anyway like they feel entitled to your body they feel entitled to your belongings you know whatever and the government is literally saying for these 12 hours it's your right as a citizen mm-hmm. you know you are entitled like yep. just how terrifying having a government say yeah you are entitled to that that's your right is just that's one of the most chilling things to me just that that quick yeah that's a phrase that comes up over and over again in the first two movies so far mm-hmm. it's yeah. our right granted to us by the new founding fathers it's mm-hmm. our right to purge for these 12 hours and they either say it calmly and coolly like of course we're going to do this it's our right to do it it's been granted to us and all morals and ethics go out the window and you think that can't happen but then you watch something like january 6th and how many persons that have been arrested for that have said in their trying to defend their actions well we thought that president trump was going to pardon us for it he told us we're supposed to go out there and fight like hell that sense of entitlement that is granted to you and thinking like it's okay for me to do this i mean we've seen it to a lesser extent here yeah yeah i'm in the deep south i'm in a firmly red state and you know we tracking you know all the anti-queer anti-trans legislation that is passing here and in neighboring states a bill that just passed in tennessee today i think you know basically outlawing all drag performances outlawing trans existence essentially you know it's terrifying to think you know if i were governed only by my region what that would look like it's not as simple as saying we'll just pack up and move because you not only have the economic realities of like moving costs a lot of money Mm -hmm. and you have to find a job and a place to live and be able to afford to be able to pack all of your belongings somewhere. Um, I don't know if you ever read the book. Like it's, I think it's called Nickeled and Dimed in America. Mm-hmm. And the author's name is escaping me. But in the 90s, she's a sociologist that essentially for three months only took minimum wage jobs. And her experiment was to see could she live off it Could she find better work? Um, How would she survive? And what she found is part of the reason why persons remain so poor for so long is A, they don't have the time to go out and apply for other jobs. Like they need to constantly work in order to just maintain the little that they do have. Um, The appearances that they need to have, like you go in to apply for a job, you want to look presentable. The outlay of things like, having better clothing, things like that, having transportation that is reliable to get to a better job. You are kind of like, I can work here because I can walk here or take the bus here, but I couldn't afford a better vehicle. So it becomes very 
difficult to break out of that cycle of poverty. The book is Nickel and Dimed in America, and I apologize because the name of the author is escaping me, but it it um, was a fascinating read. You just take a lot of things for granted when you have a little bit of money and you can have that freedom and flexibility. It's not easy to tell half the country just pick up and move. Yeah, and like the poor tax where, you know, overdraft fees, late fees, things like that, those add up so quickly and the less you have, the less you can afford to pay them. And it just, it snowballs. Not only that, you live somewhere, it's a community. Your family is there, your friends are there. The things that you, the roots you've put down are there. And it can be very hard to just pick up. And what I like about these movies is less what actually goes on in the movies. Because again, like the characters are paper thin, but the ideas that they're introducing, I think are pretty fascinating ones to kind of chew on here. Um, What do you think of this idea of like the NFFA? They're just not content at this point. Like not enough people are going out there killing each other on their own. We're going to send out these hired goons to take part. What do we think of that? I think that's fascinating. Like I, because if you ask people realistically what they think they would do during the purge, I do think there are people who are like, oh yeah, I would be out there hunting. And those people terrify me. But most people, I think, would be scared as shit. They would be hiding. Um, even if even if their safety were guaranteed, they wouldn't go out and do it. You know, that might be showing more faith in humanity than is warranted. But I don't think most people would want to do anything to hurt other people. Um, but... I'm just so fascinated by this idea. Like, again, we'll get to it in later movies, but the NFFA so convinced that they could just, you know, turn people loose and essentially have human dog fights where you like, you get these people worked up into a lather, tell them it's their right to go out and do things, prime them for violence and then set them loose. And it's still not working for them. Um, but it just it just shows how entrenched these power systems are because they've got the money and the capability to provide these weapons, provide these people who will go out and stir things up and get rid of the quote unquote undesirables. Mm-hmm. And which I which brings me to something that I think is really interesting in the purge when they're doing the purge announcement every time they say, I think the class four explosives are prohibited. There's mm-hmm. a certain class of weapons above which you cannot go. Which, again, just make sure all the power stays with the government, which is all wealthy white men that we've seen. You know, there's a a lot of racial uh, elements at play in these movies. Um, And, you know, certain government officials are off limits. Certain weapons are off limits. So you're just letting the peasants go without any real power. Because you know what would happen if these people had real power and they turned on the people they should be turning on. Oh, totally agree. And they're also like the, the government is telling in this this world, they're telling these persons that are in the giant like 18 wheelers that are like armored tanks essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're patriots. You're doing a good service here. Like they're saying like, look, the NFFA can't do it all on their own. Uh so we are patriots that are doing our due duty to help the government out in their cause here. And that is what they're being fed. And it's how they're able to justify doing what they do. I mean, and the persons are cutting down like there's no like the, the one that you mentioned them earlier, the couple 
that are out walking the street with their weapons and they're immediately cut down like the back of the truck opens and they have a basically a what is it a garret gun i'm trying a gatling yeah, gun that is you know and they're like they're like swiss cheese at that point <laughs> um it's not only that they are going out there and killing indiscriminately but it's not even a fair fight which again speaks of the class and privilege and what what weapons are are we've talked about like not a large percentage of people do take place in this and it, this is supposed to play place in downtown los angeles i've been in downtown boston for sport parades like after like the red sox won the american league east in 2004 you know we were running through the streets of alston and there were thousands of us and we were cheering and we were climbing we were climbing traffic lights and we were hooting and hollering and college kids were vomiting and cars were beeping their horns. And you would think you would see something like this, but what you see are largely empty streets. And there's a news report that plays at one point that says a record number of people are out in downtown Dallas or like 200 people in downtown. Dallas is a massive metropolitan center. 200 people is quiet, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. 200 people would be small for my town, not not even Dallas. Yeah. And I would argue to those 200 people, 190 of them aren't from Dallas. They're from like the surrounding suburbs at that point, or they're from like a more rural area coming in. Um, but it looks... I don't think it's just the budget constraints. I think that it's like purposely meant to look small. And it shows that all it takes is a very small number of persons that have unwielding a lot of power to keep a lot of people at bay. Yeah. And you've got the state-run media that's strategically showing just the most violent surveillance footage and even then it's only like two or three people at a time you're not seeing these massive riots but it is very strategic and like oh this was a successful purge you know you cleansed your souls well done everybody like it's really it's really eerie how the state media is treated in these movies I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. like with the announcements and invoking religion in with the patriotism and everything Mm-hmm. Yeah, and at this point, I would say like religion has been replaced by the political party. What do we think of the resistance movement they have here, led by uh, Carmelo, played by Michael K. Williams? What do we think here of that kind of resistance movement? Obviously, you know, I'm a I'm a fan of Carmelo and his mission. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. it's interesting. Um, I I wanted more like where they get i wanted more information about where they get their power from like he has the tech ability to hack into the state media and send out a message like a really lengthy message they don't get him kicked off quickly at all um you know they've got bigger firepower they're the ones who set off the alarm that says you have used a prohibited explosive you will be prosecuted when they break into the um killer laser tag arena um so I'm I'm really curious to know more. Again, this might pop up in future movies, I'm not sure, um, about like the power structure and who's funding that resistance movement. Yeah. It it it, it is fascinating because how do they they're not discreet 
in any way whatsoever. And you wonder <laughs> yeah. how are they able to function the other 364 days of the year? Cause you figure it would be, it's very hard to get away with anything nowadays, let alone hack into a government structure and then take down a bunch of government forces. Yeah. Um, it adds a, it, it makes sense that there would be a, some sort of resistance movement, to this and i think that's might be the purpose of the next movie so it should be pretty fascinating to talk about it there are a couple moral quandaries that came up well, a couple a bunch of moral quandaries <laughs> the one time the one time i felt conflicted during this movie was when they show like the the actuary or the financial planner who has who was strung up and it was said like he was hung because he had essentially stolen the retirement funds of all of his clients and part of me was like, oh, what an awful thing. Like, nobody deserves to die for something like this. But there was also a part of me, it's like, these are the fuckers that get away with it. These are the persons who are able to afford the best lawyers. And maybe he would have gone to, like, prison, but it would have been, like, a very low security, almost like a more of a country resort than a prison. Um, possibly he would have been able to, like, get away with it with nothing more than a fine and in the meantime, all of his victims never would have been able to recoup their financial losses. Guys like that, maybe it's not the worst thing in the world if something very bad happens to them. Like I've said, I'm a big fan of the vengeance purging, like kind of a, I won't go as far as saying Robin Hood, but um, mm -hmm. I with pe people who probably deserve what they're getting. I'm really interested in those stories just because I, I like a good revenge story. Um, so I, within the world of the purge, I was not bothered by it morally. Like in, if so I'll just, I'll leave it at that within the world of the movie. I was not bothered by it because no, I go ahead. I just go ahead. I just, Flush I know. That out. No, I just kind of thought, yeah, he kind of got what he deserved. I'm, I'm down with yeah. it. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I don't disagree. I think that you know, guys like that, bad things should happen to them. Um, the other is like that group that is led by, um, you have that other group of like mass per Those masks, by the way, were terrifying. Oh my God, yeah. Really good design. Very cool. And I like that that group is not overused. You see them at strategic points of the movie and it feels like the uh, riders of the apocalypse coming in whenever they show up. But this idea of like they're they're not out killing anybody, they're just rounding up victims for the rich and getting paid. So they're not quite as bad as some of the others, but still pretty bad. Yeah, like I I think it's interesting the economy that has emerged because of the purge, because you've got these you know rich people who don't want to get their hands dirty, basically um, farming out work to round up their victims, and like it makes financial sense within the world of the purge because it's a way to keep yourself safe because you know they 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 got that proximity to rich whiteness so they're kind of protected a little bit because they're serving these people um but uh, i i can't argue that they're um i think they're just as bad because they're still serving up these innocent people off the streets mm -hmm. to be murdered you know sure yeah, I do think once they drop out of the picture, like once they drop the group off at the auction, the movie loses some steam a bit. 
because I just feel like at this point we're kind of spinning our wheels. Like, okay, yeah. we've done the eat the rich thing in the first movie. We know that like the wealthy have it pretty easy and not that the rest of the movie feels grounded or realistic in any <laughs> way, shape or form. But I think that this just like takes it to like kind of a heightened level that feels a little bit ridiculous compared to the rest of the movie. Yeah, like I said, it feels like a Saw set piece to me, which I love the Saw movies. I have lobbied for the Saw movies to be covered on this show. (laughs) They're scheduled. um, Yay. Uh, But it just feels out of place in this movie. I'll say that. Yeah. I I will say the Saw movies are scheduled. Um, I have the posting dates done. So starting with Saw 10 and Halloween and working backwards, it's going to be like the late summer and fall of Saw around Mm -hmm. these parts. So kind of dreading it. Um, (laughs) It's going to be great. Yeah, it it feels again. it's a it's a great set piece for Frank Grillo to kind of show off his goods. You know, you get some great action set pieces here you have um i did like you have like the two doofus brothers that are like fist bumping (laughs) one another because i couldn't help but think of like eric trump and coked up you know like don trump jr like one of the world's like biggest cokeheads just like i just couldn't help but think of like those two fucking doofuses whenever they were on but yeah it's just kind of like at this point i'm like all right this is a bit and that is where you get like the the it introduces the explosives and whatnot so it's saying all right these people are going to be prosecuted but at that point who gives a fuck like look you've already like done enough like what's a little concussion grenade at this point (laughs) what do we think of the very end of this movie where you have the standoff between like the homeowner that Frank Grillo decides not to kill that, you know, this night out with this group of four people have changed his heart and he sees that vengeance is not the answer. Um, And he's in a twist of irony that nobody could have seen coming. (laughs) He is saved by the very man he was going to kill. What do we think of like those sirens go off and neither of the two heavily armed dudes like shoot the suburban homeowner. I I mean, that brings up more questions about the world of the purge. Like how much crime is happening outside of that 12 hour period? Like mm-hmm. I, I think since these are guys funded by the government, they might have more fear of the government. Um, so that's why they're not, why they're abiding by the laws of the purge. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm of two minds on that ending. Uh, there's a part of me that knows how stupid it is, <laughs> that mm-hmm. knows how easy it is, um, how predictable and how perhaps cheesy it is. But there's another part of me, the like the lizard brain part of me, that's just like, fuck yeah, that's a good ending. So, you know, I, I am from a popcorn perspective, I am satisfied, but I recognize how cheesy it is. The one thing that's fascinating there is seeing how easy it was for that family to just... Cause like you said, like if that if this night happened for real, most of us would probably be shitting bricks all night, mm-hmm. even if we're 
even if we're within the confines of a well-protected home, I'd still be scared because 12 hours is a long time. And if somebody wants to get in, they're going to get in. I'd probably build a little hiding hole like the kid has in the first movie, which what an awesome little clubhouse, by the way. But this dude is just sleeping easy. Yeah, that I didn't quite buy that one unless they're making the point that at this point in the purge, like nothing has happened because they're safe and they're Mm -hmm. pretty well to do home in this neighborhood like everything has moved to the city and they just they feel immune from it yeah it's and what's different about that neighborhood from the sandins neighborhood the little you see of it everybody has about the same amount there's no houses that jump out as extravagant or opulent they're nice houses like it's a it's a nice house um there's nothing but there's like no one that's run down and there's also no one that is like living the high life as opposed to when you get to the Sandins level, then it becomes like a dick measuring contest between <laughs> every family, right? right? It's like everybody is wealthy. Everybody is making seven figures. But then it's like, well, I have a lot, but they have more. And that's what borrows into the ears of the Sandins neighbors. Like, yes, we're pretty wealthy, you know, we are vacationing overseas a couple times a year. We're buying new cars. There's nothing that we're wanting for. If we want to afford, if, if we want the super duper high end home security system, we can afford it without a problem. The issue is if we give our money to the Sandins, now they have more than us. And in this neighborhood, everybody has about the same amount. So there's no reason to go out and take your neighbor down. Yeah, and I think there's also an interesting point about class solidarity there because the Sandin's neighbors are like, you can victimize other people, but you can't victimize your own kind, which is what Mm -hmm. the freaks say to them as well. So, and I don't think that level of like uber wealth is at play with the guy that uh, Frank Grillo hunts down. Like, obviously, they still have money, like, they've got a lot of money, but it's not to that. Um, it's middle upper middle class. Yeah, they're not at the, at the brain rot levels of wealth where you just lose your mind. <laughs> I agree. No, I agree. It's like a nice middle class, like an asp- I would call it like an aspirational neighborhood. Right. Like something where like most people look at that and be like, yeah, I could I would like to settle. On the exterior, everyone is on the same plane. And I almost wonder in a neighborhood like that how many people there even know their neighbors at that point aside from like a friendly wave now and again because that is and we could get into that for hours like how neighborhood structures have broken down where we don't really know our surrounding neighbors all that well what else did i have here i guess briefly the other scene i found very fascinating was the scene in eva's friend's apartment before the sister decides i'm going dirty harry on my sister (laughs) everyone is kind of like they're having a little party they're watching TV, they're having some drinks, and they're just, and everyone is like, hey, you're a stranger that's full of like, you've been shot up and you're all bloody. Take the shirt off my, out of my drawer. Like what's mine is yours tonight. And it's a very, you know, it's, I would say it's a very charitable view of humanity at that point. Like they're just like, we all are just trying to survive this thing. Yeah. I, I think part of that has to do with how close um tanya and eva are and like there's that sense of like they're in the trenches together because they work together Mm -hmm. and they 
Um, but also, I, I think this is another instance of kind of narrative fuckery because we're supposed to be lulled into kind of complacency like oh we can relax we're around friendly people we're around people who have no interest in purging and then the shock of the sister um mm-hmm. pulling out the gun so i think you know does it make perfect sense no does it have to be that way for the narrative to work and that shock factor to work yes sure um but also you know i i do think there's this level of comfort like we we know at least some of these people we're familiar you know this is not rich folks coming in to drag us out of our houses to you know hack us with axes and machetes so i think again the class element plays into it like it's all about being comfortable mm-hmm. with your own people and your own kind so to speak because it, the different social strata are so pitted against each other that you find comfort mm-hmm with those people who are so similar to you. Yeah. The thing is like Roddy is no prize, you know, <laughs> like I just can't imagine fighting over that dude. Like that guy just looks super greasy and weak. <laughs> Bless him. I really like that actor, but I think, I think he played rat boy, I think is his name on sons of anarchy. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, yeah, just getting that worked up over rat boy. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I think I've never watched an episode of Sons of Anarchy or the show that came after it, Mayans, and my cousin is one of the lead writers or producers of the spinoff show. And I'm oh, like, wow. good for him. Don't really have any interest in it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not me casting aspersions on his looks, by the way. I just want to Oh no, I'm gonna, in this movie record. in this movie he looks super great. I mean like right, look, you can yeah. make anybody Look, I mean, you can turn Justin Log into a human walrus, you know, um, and Justin Long is super handsome. Um, but in this movie, like Nick, Nico Nicotera, who plays Roddy, he just looks like greasy and shifty, you yes. know, and yeah. you can kind of like smell him through the screen. Um, so I would say just let him go. Like, all right, you want to like shtup my sister? I guess that's okay. Because... <laughs> We could all do better, is what I'm saying. <laughs> do we have any other thoughts before we go here? Not really. I think we've covered pretty much all of it, yeah. Yeah, and again, like we're, we're covering these movies in a little bit of a different way, where I think every movie has a little bit of a different theme, and I am mm-hmm. kind of like less interested in the, and then this happens, and then this happens, and wasn't it cool? Like, what's the best kill of the movie? Like, right. you know, I mean, like, that, that just doesn't interest me at this point. Um, if there, If that is what interests someone, there's plenty of shows out there that do the plot by plot, like recap. Um, I just think like this particular series, the movies themselves are what they are. Like they're a series of like three star movies. Like they're a fun watch. Um, Perfect for a Saturday afternoon, rainy day, but there's no classic in this series. There's nothing like, holy shit. That first phantasm movie is a unmitigated classic um, that deserves like hours and hours of discourse, but the ideas in each of these and each one's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, they're really fascinating to kind of talk about here. So same yeah, boat. Absolutely. All right. All right. So that is our episode on the purge anarchy. We are going to be back next week with the midpoint of the series election year, which I am sure is going to be a super calm discussion. <laughs> 
it's not going to bring up any feelings of rage or existential terror at the state of our country and you know it, it, what happened after this a few months after this movie comes out um where yeah i'm sure that'll be a very just like smooth sailing easy breezy yeah, yeah. super super no big feelings at all involved in that one. But before we go, let's talk about where you can find us if you want more of us. So Jess, what do you have coming out? Because you are always like turning in <laughs> projects. I'm sure like you wrote four reviews in the time that we recorded this episode. <laughs> You're off like turning in copy. God, I wish. Oh, I wish. Um, no, um, I'm going to be covering South by Southwest, which is starting here in a few weeks. I'm very excited about that. Um, still have a few Sundance reviews trickling out that are getting mm-hmm. published. Um, and still writing a slash film and covering movies on WeWhoWalkHere.com, my website. Everybody can find me on Twitter at WeWhoWalkHere and my mm-hmm. website WeWhoWalkHere.com where I collect podcast appearances, all my writing. It's all there. What are you looking forward to for South by Southwest? You know, Evil Dead Rise is hitting South by Southwest, which I'm very excited about. Um, I'm going to be covering a movie called Eye String, which just sounds as squicky as hell, and I'm very ready Mm -hmm. for it. Yeah. What is it called? Eye String? Eye String. It's exactly what it sounds like, a string coming out of a woman's eye, and she has to figure out what's going on. Oh. Do not want that. (laughs) Do not no that's a hard okay um is smoking causes coughing playing south by southwest oh i don't remember i have watched that and i'll have a review of that one coming out i had a lot of fun with that one yeah that looks like a lot of fun it is very so fun. i just watched a trailer for that it looks absolutely ridiculous and a it, lot of fun it is. so it is yeah <laughs> what other pod appearances do you have coming up um, I just appeared on The Take Up, um, talking about You Won't Be Alone, probably my favorite movie from last year. That I, was. Yeah. That was I your was, number one for us. It was on the top 10 horror of the year. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to be doing At the Devil's Ball, talking about the menu, speaking of more Eat the Rich movies. Um, so, and I've got a few more scheduled after that that I can't remember off the top of my head, but I'm always, I love talking movies with people. So I'm always trying to get people to have me on their shows. Excellent. Excellent. As you know, you can find my other show, Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast where we cover horror movies through the lens of mental health. This past February, we cover, we did basically bad romance where we did like issues we often see in couples counseling so we did divorce along with possession we did new relationship energy with an american werewolf in london we did how relationships change as we age with x and this past week we posted a comfort horror movie with the Wolfman. Uh, in march we're going to be doing sibling rivalry and we have movies picked out like whatever happened to baby jane and Sisters by Brian De Palma for uh, a couple of our topic episodes. And then we have some comfort horror sprinkled in there. So please check out Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast, wherever you get your shows. You can find me personally at Mike underscore Snoonian over on Twitter. 
and over on Instagram at the same handle. Follow me over in Letterboxd at Mike Chump Change. I've been really enjoying kind of posting everything I'm watching there and doing different lists, and I love kind of interacting with folks over there as well. As far as the show goes, you can follow us over on Twitter over at Pod and Pendulum. Also, make sure to visit our website, podandthependulum.com. We post all of our episodes over there. Uh, it has links to basically every podcatcher, so whatever you use, it's easy to subscribe to us. Very easy to leave us reviews there. If you haven't already, and I say this every episode, please, I, I am asking kindly, please go ahead, rate us, review us, Leave us five stars and a few kind words and make sure you subscribe to us. It definitely goes a long way to helping new listening listeners find us. Don't quite know why it works that way, but it does work that way. Whenever we get a few new reviews that are five stars, you see an influx of listeners come in uh, over the next couple weeks. And they tend to stick around. So we hope you will continue to do that for us. I'd like to get to that 200 by the end of the year, which is that magic number you need, I think, to be like a Rotten Tomatoes uh, review podcast. So if we, we are a little bit over halfway there, but we could use some help in that regard. So that is our episode on The Purge Anarchy. I will say that after election year, we'll have a little break from The Purge. We'll be covering Scream 6 and then returning with our Purge coverage and then who knows thank you once again for listening and until next time lock your doors grab a weapon and stay safe <laughs>